Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TMA Ask the Expert podcast series. Today's podcast is entitled Quality of Life, Mindset, and Healthy Habits. My name is Chrissy Dilger, and I will be moderating this podcast. The TMA is a nonprofit focused on support, education, and research of rare neuroimmune disorders. You can learn more about us on our website at myelitis.org. This podcast is being recorded and will be made available on the TMA website for download via iTunes. During the call, if you have any additional questions, you can send a message through the chat option available with GoToWebinar. For today's podcast, we are pleased to be joined by Andrea Hansen and Catherine Treadaway Chapman. Andrea Wildenthal Hansen is a two-time best-selling author, master certified life coach, speaker, and creator of the Health Mindset Podcast. Diagnosed with multiple sclerosis herself in 2000, Andrea coaches people living with autoimmune disorders, helping them to finally feel like themselves again. As well as running her own coaching business, Andrea has two books focused on mindset while living with a chronic illness, Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis, and Stop Carrying the Weight of Your MS. Her online community, Autoimmune Rebels, offers people with chronic illness judgment-free support and coaching to help boost confidence as they ditch the FOMO and create better health. Catherine Treadaway Chapman received her bachelor degree in sociology and master of social work at Louisiana State University. She started her career at the Baton Rouge General Medical Center on their general medicine floor, gaining social work experience on all the units there, including telemetry, burn, oncology, moms and babies, and the ER. She received her board certification in 1998 from the Louisiana State Board of Board Certified Social Work Examiners. Catherine has been at the Multiple Sclerosis Program at UT Southwestern since September 2002. She works with a dynamic multidisciplinary team in the MS Clinic and the Conquer Clinic at Children's Health Dallas, participating in research and patient care. She assists adults and children by serving as their advocate, locating resources, providing counseling, support and information, and arranging home and outpatient care. She is the social worker for the Total Life Care and Complex Care Clinic within the MS Clinic. Welcome and thank you both for joining us today. Um, so I would like to start off with just hearing more with, from Andrea uh, about your background and um, what what work you do? Sure. Um, I am a life and mindset coach. I work with people with chronic illness and I help them with their mindset to really help them feel like themselves again so they can create healthy habits and make it a true lifestyle change um, instead of just a habit here or there or something that's going to stop. So just a little bit about myself um, to give you a little bit more background. Um, I was diagnosed myself with multiple sclerosis um, 19 years ago. And I was super young. I was still in graduate school. I was getting my master's in early childhood disorders. And I was working with really little kiddos that needed some pretty serious help, kids with you know, autism and, and things like that. And I was coordinating with their families. And so it was a pretty stressful situation that I was in. I was not only getting my master's and doing everything that comes with that, with your master's thesis and all of that, but I was also really invested and really focused on these kids 
who um, needed a lot of help. And then of course you just fall in love with them. And so I was really focused on them and I wasn't focused on me. And when I was walking down the, the hallway one time in school and you know, I was juggling all of these books and things like that, I poked myself in the eye. I kind of went to sweep some hair out of my face. You know, we all do this, right? And I accidentally poked my eye and I didn't really think anything of it because it, sadly it happens, <laughs> it happens a lot. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, that was a pretty big jab. And then that night, my vision in that eye started shutting down. It was like someone was pulling a shade over like a window. And I was like, huh, that must've been because I poked myself in the eye. So I went to an ophthalmologist. She looked in my eye and she literally shuttled me down the hallway to a neuro ophthalmologist who looked in my eye and said, okay, this is optic neuritis. And by that night, I was sitting in the hospital, admitted to the hospital after having a ton of tests, talking with my family and with my MS specialist and looking at images of my brain. And these images had little white lights all over it, right? In the, in the imaging, it was like little white spots, like a Christmas tree. And my MS specialist said, your brain is on fire and there's no doubt that you have MS. And that was a shock as it is, right? Whenever you have a diagnosis, it's this big shock. And so the first years were tough for me, not only adjusting to this, but I also had a lot of relapses. Um, I had optic neuritis, honestly, more times than I can count. I, I couldn't even tell you um, how many times I had it. And in those first years, I guess it was maybe three or four years into my diagnosis, I found myself back in the neuro-ophthalmologist's office with what I suspected was another bout of optic neuritis. And he looked in my eye and he confirmed the diagnosis and I lost it in his office, like literally right there <laughs> in front of him. I was bawling. Um, and he was so sweet. I could tell his, his face. He had no idea what to do <laughs> with me falling in his office. And he got me like some orange juice, like, here you go. <laughs> and and I, I had an epiphany that day that I broke down in my, in my doctor's office. I realized I had these great doctors, right? They're actively treating my MS and they're doing a really good job. But that wasn't enough. Right? They were doing their part, part, and I realized that I actually wasn't doing my part. And so after that day where I broke down and I really realized I had to do my part, I got really, really honest with myself. I had been working out. That's one thing that I did. The second I got diagnosed, I was like, okay, I'm going to start exercise because I know that's a good thing. So I'd been working out but I was going at it the wrong way. I was going way too hard. I was kind of running those miles like it was gonna make me lose 30 pounds. <laughs> and so I was pushing myself for kind of the wrong reasons. I was super stressed about school. I was stressed about work. I was burning the candle at both ends consistently. I would either have uh, like a super crazy restrictive diet that some nutritionists put me on, or I would get out of that and I would just eat trash for weeks on end and so my weight was you know up and down and up and down. I wasn't allowing myself to feel anything emotionally. 
because to be honest, I was just terrified that I was going to get caught up in like depression or sadness or fear or something horrible. I was afraid all of this was underneath and I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So I just pushed it down, tried to distract myself, tried to tell myself I was positive. <laughs> and so, you know, probably, you know, coincidentally, I was drinking too much. I was staying out late. I was, you know, I was in my early twenties. I was, you know, I was definitely not getting enough sleep. I was definitely not doing my part when it came to my health. And even with the best doctors doing their best, and I had the best doctors, I still do, and they did their best. I was setting myself back with my unhealthy lifestyle. So little by little, I started changing my habits. I got really serious about my sleep and I made that a priority. I worked out still, that didn't stop, but I worked out with more attention to myself and more kindness. And I educated myself on food and supplements and different therapies and I changed my diet. Um, I took my stress levels way down and um, I also took a really good look at my environment and my relationships and I set really clear boundaries and I focused on building a support system that worked for me. Um, one of the biggest things is I started listening to my body, listening to what it was telling me, what it needed and honoring that. And so my life now is completely different than what it was that day that I had the breakdown in my, in my doctor's office. But here's the thing, it didn't, this didn't happen overnight. This didn't happen all at once. These weren't changes that I just did all at once. And you know, you hear people say like, I made the decision and then it was great. Like, no, no, no. I had a lot of wins. I had a lot of fails. It was, it was a winding road. Right? When I went to change my lifestyle, what I did was I started by setting a new goal and then taking action. Right, This is my goal. This is what I'm going to do to make that goal. It sounds very logical. And what would happen is I would set my goal and then I would white knuckle my way through. <laughs> I would white knuckle it to the goal or go as long as I can, which was usually like two, three weeks. And I would eventually sabotage myself and land pretty much back at square one. And the cycle would repeat itself a lot. And I got really, really frustrated. And so I stopped and I was like, what is going wrong here? What is happening? And so I went back to the drawing board and what I learned was that I was working on my goals all wrong. I had left out a really crucial component that makes or breaks any goal you set. And that was I was ignoring my mindset. I had no idea. I had no idea what a mindset was in the beginning. And I certainly didn't know how important it was when you want to make a change in your life, any change. So I was trying to do these new changes, these new goals, but I was keeping my old mindset. That does not work ever. So I want to kind of get a little definition, definition so we all are on the same page. Your mindset is simply what you choose to believe about a circumstance what you choose to believe about a circumstance. So what you believe, what you think, affects how you feel emotionally, always. And as humans, we take actions based on what we're feeling. Our emotions drive our actions. So I had this old mindset that was like, it doesn't matter what I do, right? My bad habits aren't really hurting me. I knew it wasn't great that I wasn't getting good sleep or that I was eating you know, bad food, but it's like, ah, oh, it's not hurting me. I took full advantage of being able to, you know, 
spring back when you're in your 20s, <laughs> I would think that, you know, I can, you know, I can handle this. My mindset was like, I just want to go have fun. I just want to go out. I can't, I can't take care of myself and go out at the same time. And I really want to go out. I'll, I'll figure it out later. That was my old mindset. But if I really sat and looked at it, that mindset made me feel kind of defensive, right? Like my bad habits aren't hurting me. I can do this. I can, I can still go out. I'll be okay. Right? There's a defensiveness there. And I felt kind of angry a little bit. And, and having this mindset of my bad habits aren't hurting me and feeling kind of defensive and angry, that's what led to these actions that weren't really taking care of myself. And so what I tried to do is I tried to create and stick with all of these new habits of taking care of myself while still believing that my bad habits didn't really hurt me and still feeling defensive and angry. That does not work. <laughs> that will never work, right? So I made changing my mindset around these goals my priority. I realized that that is what I had to say change. That's what was setting me back because I had great goals. I had a great plan of action. My mindset was what I had to change. So once I was able to change my mindset, not only were these new habits a lot easier, but I also became way more flexible at finding solutions to these roadblocks because roadblocks come up, right? There's not, it's not a, a straight path to success, but roadblocks used to derail me completely and send me you know, off course for maybe two weeks. But when I had this new mindset, I was much more flexible and I was much more, e it was much more, um, it was much easier to deal with these roadblocks. And it really was like a totally new world when I had this new mindset. So something else my mindset was helped me with, and I think it's, it's good to talk about is that I was a lot more open to learning more things. I was much more open to research, talking about what bad habits actually do to you. Right. When I thought bad habits weren't going to weren't going to hurt me, I wasn't open to research. Right. I changed my mindset. All of a sudden, this whole new world was opened and I was reading about how bad habits actually can hurt you, especially when you have something, you know, when you have a diagnosis, when you have a disorder. So I was reading about how these habits were adding stress to my life, how they were zapping my energy, how things like a bad diet can cause inflammation, confuse my immune system. I was learning about uh, emotional intelligence and how emotions really work and all the reasons why we need to feel them rather than push them away. So I didn't simply have, the, have these bad habits that I needed to change because everybody says so, right? There's that everybody says I need to stop doing this. It's not just that. It's just that these habits were actively hurting my health and they were making my MS worse. They were making my, my doctor's jobs even harder, right? It's easy to think about starting healthy habits and you know how much those are gonna help, but it's also equally important to stop those bad habits that are actually hurting your health because you can get into like this one step forward, one step back kind of situation if you don't do that. So my life now is completely different than what it was like you know, back in that doctor's office, 100% different. My health is so much better, which is kind of strange when you think, you know, obviously I've had MS this whole time. <laughs> After 19 years of MS, my health is better than it was even before I got MS, right? I have this new lifestyle. I'm eating healthy foods that work for my body. Working out is still a priority, 
like it has been, right? I've worked out forever, but I'm a lot smarter about it. And my sleep is number one in my life. Like my sleep is a non-negotiable. And my emotional health and stress are managed. And the biggest thing is I actively manage my mindset every single day. Because it's important to know that managing your mindset is no different than managing what foods you eat or managing what workouts you do or how you exercise or managing your stress, right? Your mindset is something to manage every single day. You've got to pay attention to it every single day, just like everything else. And that's honestly, that's why I became a coach. That's why I love teaching other people how to manage their mindset because a lot of people don't know just how, number one, just how important it is, but number two, just how much you have to manage it and stay on top of it because it's not a one and done situation. So once you get into that and you understand how to manage your mindset and you are doing it, it's, it's a total game changer, right? It's a game changer for your health, but it's really, it's a game changer for your life goals. This can apply to anything. I know we're talking about health here, but it can be applied to anything that you want to do. So that's why I love this podcast. I think Catherine's going to have some awesome things to say, and I can't wait to help you guys with all this mindset stuff because it's, it's pretty mind blowing. Thank you, Andrea. That was uh, mm-hmm. really interesting. And thank you for sharing your your story. I yeah. am sure a lot of our, our listeners can relate to a lot of what you've said. So mm-hmm. uh, we, I look forward to hearing more from you. Um, Catherine, would you mind um, sharing a little bit more uh, from your perspective, you know, as, as someone who works uh, with people with, with these rare neuroimmune disorders, uh, what what are your ideas on on healthy habits and mindset? Okay, great. Um, so, yes, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, I think with any diagnosis or illness, it's an opportunity for change, and it's also more important than ever to take care of yourself. You know, which I think Andrea came, you know, came to that realization. And I've talked to many people who told me they would have never made changes that they did. Um, to implement healthy behaviors if they hadn't been diagnosed with a serious illness. And even though many of us know what to do to be healthy, you know, I think common knowledge does not necessarily mean common practice. And like Andrea was saying, your mind is guiding everything. But I wanted to just talk about it's really easy to fall into unhealthy habits without much thought. Um, Just like how our society is set today, you know, it's so easy and convenient to pick up, you know, highly processed, inexpensive foods, um, like two of my favorites, Oreos and Doritos. You know, I just call like fake foods, basically, um, but they're so good. Um, I can easily could binge watch on Game of Thrones all night and not prioritize sleep, you know, just get one more episode in, you know, and we're set up to be able to do that. You know, most of us have some form of social media. It's easy to get sucked into scrolling through that. And maybe just looking at our smartphone to look up something, and then 30 minutes later you realize you're still looking through and just going down all these rabbit holes of finding out all kinds of information. I also think it's easy to just say negative mantras to ourselves, like, you know, why bother? I've tried that before. Or, um, and, you know, we don't even stop to question these thoughts because they become so automatic. 
So whereas healthy habits, I feel like, have to be developed with practice and thought. And a long time ago, you know, food did used to be farm to table. You know, we didn't have to worry about processed foods. And we didn't have phones that could provide us with endless information. We couldn't sit down and watch an entire TV sitting uh, season in one sitting. So healthy habits take a conscious effort. And we have to take some kind of initiative um, and have intention for good health. It doesn't just happen. So I've heard like so many ideas on how it, how long it takes to form a habit, as I'm sure y'all have too. You know, I've heard 21 days, 40 days, even 62 days to develop a habit. But I just say I really can't recommend any one of these days um, because we're all so unique. But just to know that the more you do a behavior, the more it's going to start feeling weird if you don't do it. And when we do something consistently, our brains get used to it. And one of the keys, I think, to building new healthy habits is become aware of what it is you're missing. Now, I want to touch on the four pillars of health that it's outlined in this book, How to Make Disease Disappear by Dr. Chatterjee. And he talks about these four pillars of health, um, sleep being one of them, which I really think is like the foundation for our health. He talks about the pillar of food. You know, I just don't think there's one diet for, for everyone. You just have to find what works for you. But it does matter what you eat. And what I kind of stick to is just unprocessing the diet as much as possible, ditching the sugar, eating real food, um, and just packing in the veggies as much as you can. He talks about the pillar of movement and how exercise is so important, and not just for our physical health, but for our emotional health, because it can help reduce depression, anxiety, and fatigue. And he talks about doing like little movement snacks, like just finding little movement snacks through the day that you can do something little. Um, even if you can't go to the gym, maybe you can find something at your house or just squeeze something in at work, like stretching or using some hand weights. But the pillar that I want to focus on is relaxation pillar, because I think this is the one that's often most ignored by people. And just like Andrew was talking, she was constantly burning the candle at both ends. And I think a lot of us are walking around in chronic stress with more demands than we can handle. And the stress response was really designed for short term. It was to assist us in fighting and fleeing from concrete stressors like a rhinoceros is charging at you and you have to get out of the way. So your body's, your heart rate goes up, your stress hormones increase, your blood pressure goes up, muscle tension, you know, because you have to be ready to either run away or, you know, fight that rhinoceros. But today, those stressors are more psychologically based and they're increasing in frequency. You know, we have traffic and deadlines and there's no dissipation of that physical arousal by fighting or fleeing. And that chronic activation of our stress response can lead to health problems like problems sleeping, people can get headaches, pain, anxiety, depression, suppresses the immune function, and we just can't self-heal when we're in the stress response. And one of the things Dr. Chatterjee talked about in his book is the cortisol steal. Like that cortisol steals from other hormones that your body needs, 
which can impact your digestive system and your sleep system. So the counterbalancing mechanism to the stress response is the relaxation response. And regularly eliciting the relaxation response um, counters this harmful stress. I mean, we all need a little stress in our lives to get things done, but not this chronic long-term stress. And I would take 15 to 20 minutes every day to do this and find the time to do this. And if you're telling yourself, I can't do that, I can't find that time, then you are the person that needs that the most to elicit the relaxation response. And there's four steps to do that, which is number one, relaxing muscles in your body from head to toe, just like a progressive muscle relaxation. You know, a lot of times if we check in, we'll find ourselves like holding our shoulders real tense or, you know, just other parts of our body. Um, two, it's establishing a relaxed abdominal breathing pattern. Three is having some mental focusing device that's neutral and repetitive, like use a word like one or peace or calm or just any word that you choose. And then four is just to let it happen at its own pace. Like don't work at relaxing or try to relax or even worry about it. Just if distracting thoughts occur, just disregard them and return your attention back to that mental focusing device. And there's lots of um, guided meditations out there, lots of apps on your phone that you could use to help guide you. Because if you pair it with visualization, that's the best way to relax. And some of those apps are like Simple Habit, Insight Timer, Calm, C-A-L-M. And they all have some free guided meditations on there. But there's some other things to help elicit the relaxation response, like aerobic exercise and repetitive sounds like ocean waves or fans and then music. Music can be so soothing and healing and it also can be a real good motivator for, for exercise. But just with practicing this, the ability to relax your body and mind will improve. And I just encourage everyone to give yourself permission to relax every day and not feel guilty about it. And then just a couple other strategies I want to go over to develop healthy habits. Um, I heard this one recently. It's making a Y card, W-H-Y. And you just get an index card and write down your why for your health. Like, why do you want it? You know, what's motivating or inspiring you? And just be honest with yourself because the card's just for you. But it might be like you just want to feel good and confident about yourself. It might be to be there for your kids and family, or maybe just to be kind to your older self, like in the future. And I mentioned this why card to my husband. He's like, oh, I did that. So he did this to break an unhealthy habit to stop smoking. But he put a picture of a smoker's lung on one side and on the other side, he wrote why he was quitting. Like he wanted to be a good example for the kids. He didn't want to stink anymore. He just wanted to feel better. He just kept that in his wallet so he could look at that anytime he was having a craving. Another thing is social accountability. So people need people. We are all social creatures and people with adequate social support, which be like your friends, your family, your community, religious organizations, pets, all manage stress better. 
And I think it's really important to stop and value those friendships that lift you up and just really nurture them. Another thing, you could sign up for a challenge. That can be really fun, and it's a lot easier to be enthusiastic as a team and be with people that are have a similar mission. Um, so I really just encourage everyone, think about those pillars of health and see which one you're not paying any attention to and start there. And you know, if you're having this constant feeling of being too busy and overwhelmed, you may be getting stuck in a cycle of stress response. So just identify one small place you can start, identify one responsibility you've taken on and you can cancel to free up some time for yourself. You know, find a person in your life to share your plan with and ask them to help you implement it. And just, you deserve to take care of yourself. It's not something to ever feel guilty about. <clears throat> and I just, I love podcasts, so it's really great that you're listening to this podcast. Um, but uh, some of my favorites, I listened to the Model Health Show, where that's where I heard about Dr. Chatterjee, who has his own podcast, um, the Feel Better, Live More. And then Andrea has her own podcast, the Health Mind Podcast, which is awesome. So um, I think it's important, you know, just to get good information as well um, on how you're going to achieve those habits. And just a series of little steps done consistently will produce significant changes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. That was, I think, uh, a really good overview, and you really gave some good strategies um, which are very helpful for our community dealing with, you know, the stress of having a chronic illness. Um, so one of the questions we've gotten from our community was about um, the mindset that changes when you get your diagnosis and uh, that can, you know, be really life-changing. So um, the question is, how do I simultaneously accept my diagnosis while also being hopeful about the future? Are these contradictory? Um, and Andrea, do you want to maybe touch on that? Sure. Um, so the short answer is no, they're not contradictory at all. Um, in fact, I would argue that you you must accept your diagnosis before you can truly move forward and adopt a more hopeful mindset because uh, it's really hard. It's hard to move from, I hate this, <laughs> to things are going to be fantastic, right? That's a huge jump. And so when you're moving away from like, I hate this, this is terrible, there's an acceptance that happens. And when you accept your current situation, that means you are, you're, you don't have to be at peace with it. You don't have to love it. Um, but there's a certain neutral kind of a feeling, right? Like I have it. You deal with your emotions that have come with it. You've dealt with your mindset that, that focuses on how bad it is. And you kind of move into this neutral point. And that allows you to move into then a more hopeful point so much easier. Because um, if you haven't accepted that diagnosis and you still have those negative feelings, that's really going to hold you back. It's going to turn into like, I'm hopeful, but things are really horrible, right? Which that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to put you in that hopeful place because the whole idea behind mindset is that you feel better with it, with every shift of your mindset. So 
you really need to, you can just kind of accept it. You don't have to love it. You don't have to say that it's, you know, it's changed your life in so many amazing ways. You don't have to be there. But just simply accepting it and getting to just that neutral place is going to help you really move forward without feeling like you keep getting pulled back. Great. Thank you. Um, and a a another thing that uh, I think people might struggle with and a question we did receive was explaining your mindset and how it has changed since the diagnosis to mm -hmm. other people in your life. Um, this can be, you know, friends and family who, who don't have the same kind of struggle as you. Do you have any uh, tips for, for communicating with those in your life who might not understand right away? Uh, sure. Are you asking me? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, for sure. I mean, look, when I was first diagnosed, I spent three days in the hospital. And besides my family, one of the first phone calls I made was to my best friend. And I left her these voicemails like, I, you know, I'm in the hospital. I've had this diagnosis. This is horrible. I need you. She didn't call me back for over a week. And this is like my, my best friend that I looked at for support, right? Sometimes people react in ways that we never expected. And sometimes it's better than we thought. Sometimes it's not. But here's the thing. We're not responsible for how other people act, right? We can't make somebody understand. We can't make somebody support us. And that's a really hard lesson um, to have to learn when you're dealing with a diagnosis. But it's one that when you really come to terms with that, it takes so much of the pressure off of you to try to make people understand. It's not on you, right? What's on, what's on us as the person with a chronic illness is being our authentic selves, right? Letting people know how we feel, letting people know if it's someone close to us and we feel comfortable sharing, letting them know what we think about what's going on, what our fears are, what our feelings are, what our mindset is, and you know, maybe letting them know what we need from them in terms for support. But what they do with that information is, is totally up to them, right? I would love to say that best friends and family are automatically gonna understand us and support us and be there for us, but they have their own mindset. Just like we have our own mindset, they have their own mindset about what's going on with us and what that means for them. So they have to want to change their mindset, just like we have to want to change our mindset, right? It's the same thing for everybody. So if they don't want to change their mindset, then it's up to us. It's up to us to create those boundaries. It's to, up to us to create another support system, may or may not include them. They might be great friends for going out and having fun with, but maybe not the friend that you go to for support. Um, but really, first and foremost, we need to understand ourselves. We need to support ourselves. That's where it's got it's to start. And then it gets so much easier when you're talking with other people. All right. Well, thank you. That, that um, was a really great explanation. Mm. Um, so we, we got another question uh, about energy levels. And uh, obviously, uh, these rare neuroimmune disorders can be really draining to people. So. Um, how do the question is how do I get the energy to push through and accomplish the things I want to do without feeling totally exhausted? Uh, Catherine, do you mind uh, touching base on this? Sure. So 
you know, I just, there is nothing wrong with protecting your energy. Um, and that might be, you know, looking at your commitments. You know, I think I had mentioned that earlier, like just looking at your responsibilities and what you've taken on, you know, that it's okay to cancel plans. It's okay to, you know, do things for yourself. You know, tell yourself it's okay it's for me to protect my energy. Um, and again, just kind of identifying something that you could cancel up to free some more time for yourself and just prioritizing, you know, this, when anyone's diagnosed with a chronic illness, I think it does make you stop and say, okay, well, what is really important in my life? And just kind of prioritizing, you know, is this family? Is it my career? You know, what are the important things? And putting those at the top of the list. And then looking to other things, you know, that maybe we're involved in that, that maybe aren't serving us, you know, or what our highest priority is. Um, but I think just telling ourselves that it's okay to, to protect ourselves, and like Andrew is saying, having boundaries. And I don't know if, I know there's got to be a lot of people pleasers out there, you know, and I think, you know, when you're a people pleaser, you're even, you know, at more of a disadvantage because you continue to take things on. But it's okay to say no. It is okay to say no to things. And there's lots of ways to do that. And you're opening up opportunities for other people to be involved or do things. Um, and you don't have to be apologetic about it either. Um, but I just think it's okay to say no and just start incorporating, again, the relaxation response into your day because that and not listening to your body can really zap your energy too. Um, so I think just kind of looking at what are the things zapping my energy and just telling yourself it's okay to protect it and what are the things that I'm going to do because exercise can help you feel more energy. So what things can I add in? What things can I take out? Um, to protect that energy. Thank you. Um, Andrea, do you have anything uh, to add or? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good answer. I think Catherine had a lot of good points there about not being afraid to protect your energy, um, especially if you are someone who is constantly doing things for other people. It's, you know, you kind of train people to expect things from you. And so if you're that person that's like the go-to, they're going to keep going to you. So you have to be the one in charge of yeah, creating those boundaries um, and and being uh, being in charge of your own energy. Um, you know, things like there are things that are that zap our energy without us really realizing it. Um, there are ways that even I mean, chronic illness aside, because I know fatigue can be a big thing. Um, I know there are side effects that can be a big thing, but just as humans, there are ways that we give away our energy. Um, one is not having those clear boundaries and protecting your energy, but there's other little things like being dehydrated. That's going to zap your energy, right? That's going to stress your energy. Um, having a negative mindset, that's going to zap your energy because it's going to make things harder. It's going to make you feel like you're trudging through things. Um, and yeah, exercise. I'm, you know, I love that, that Catherine said that because I think that's a huge, huge thing. It's one of the first things. And I think the best thing that I've done for myself is to start working out when I was diagnosed um, almost 20 years ago. Um, and then sleep. You know, I love that she she hit on that because that's I, I personally think sleep should be a non-negotiable for everybody. So it is. It's just about doing an evaluation of, of your lifestyle. Right. Do you work out? What do you do? Maybe you're working out too much. 
right? What do you eat? What's your sleep like? What's your environment like? Um, if you have an environment that's like overly noisy or overly cluttered, that can zap your energy too. Um, so it's, it's really about just doing an evaluation of what's going on and um, looking at how you can protect those things and how you can kind of stop those things that just kind of give your energy away, like get hydrated, get sleep, um, get the right kind of exercise for you, eat the right kind of foods for you. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Catherine, I know you mentioned um, a healthy diet being a part of, you know, developing healthy habits and replacing processed carbs. So we did get a question asking if there were if you had any suggestions for what healthy foods are good replacements for those processed carbs. Um, I'm just real big on eating real food. Um, you know, if it came from the ground and, you know, if it's, or a tree or, you know, an animal, those are all real foods. And just pairing that with healthy fats, like avocado oil, coconut oil, um, organic butter, you know, I think those are all healthy fats. And, yeah, this is another podcast I listen to, but it's called Dishing Up Nutrition. And that's kind of our whole focus is eating real foods and healthy fats. And I just heard there's a new um, book that just came out, Eating to Beat Disease. And I heard the guy get interviewed. And you can get the shopping list for free um, if you just go to his website, Dr. William Lee, L-I. But I just thought it was a really good overview of just a lot of healthy food options um, to put on your grocery list you know, like kiwis and pretty much all the veggies, lots of seafood. It's kind of Mediterranean-like. But um, again, I think everybody has to figure out, you know, what's the best foods for them, you know, because not all foods are going to work for everybody. But I think just generally sticking to things that aren't in a package is, is probably best. And I think, you know, people say, you know, do the perimeter of the grocery store, not like the inside, <laughs> the perimeter where all the fresh stuff is. Um, but yeah, that dishing up nutrition is a really good one. Um, eating to be disease, that's a good one. Um, you know, but I'm just kind of like, I know there's so many diets out there and that they do work for some people, um, but I'm just not on one any particular diet. I just try to eat in moderation and, again, just real foods that – you know, come from the earth, um, you know, and haven't been highly processed. You know, and I think sugar can really zap our energy as well. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I think those are some really good points and, you know, utilizing uh, the internet to, to kind of, you know, learn about different diet changes you can make um, is a, is a good idea. So, uh, do there using the internet is is something that's pretty popular. Do you are there any uh, online resources that you uh, recommend or tools you recommend that will help you in other areas like changing your mindset or developing other healthy habits? Um, Andrea, do you want to answer this? Um, sure. I have uh, besides the 
I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, but like every time Catherine talks, I'm like writing things down because she throws out like podcasts and resources and all these things. I'm like, oh, I got to read that. I got to see that. Um, so in addition to that, I, um, I like, you know, Catherine talked about the Insight Timer, Calm. I like Headspace, which is an app. Um, it's, these are all meditation apps that help you get into it at various levels. You can have no idea what you're doing and start and it's going to, you know, they're going to walk you through it and get you into it. And I think these are really good because, you know, like Catherine said, and, you know, like it's been pointed out, a lot of times we can start where we're not even accepting the current situation. We're not even accepting our current diagnosis. And there's a lot of, of negativity in our mindset and something like meditation can really help us kind of ease into the present because that's what it's all about. And it can help us get to that point um, from being super freaked out and thinking everything's horrible to accepting. I really found that meditation can help. Um, so I love those, all of those apps. And I think you can go online. I think all of them have websites as well that you can do various things with. A couple of books that I like, I know it's not online, but one book is called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acker. I love this book because it talks a lot about your positive like a true positive mindset which is what i like it's not about like these positive thoughts that we make ourselves believe but like a true positive mindset where you're making the choice to believe something that makes you feel better all sorts of things happen in our brain when we're in this positive mindset and it's fascinating and it kind of goes into why you want to start with a positive mindset before creating all these healthy habits because it helps it be so much easier. So it's a great book. Again, it's The Happiness Advantage. He's he's wickedly funny, um, but it's really fascinating stuff, fascinating research. Um, another book that I love that I recommend a lot is called The Four Tendencies, and that's by Gretchen Rubin. And the reason I like this book so much is it talks about how it's it's not one of those books that puts you in a box like you are, you know, this type of a person, but it talks about how everybody is one of the four tendencies. And it talks about how we respond to external uh, circumstances and then internal, I should say, external expectations and internal expectations. And so it helps you get your tendency and understand, really helps you understand like, oh, this is why I react this way when somebody does something or this is why I react this way when I set a goal, right? For some people, accountability from other people is awesome and it totally works. For other people, um, I'm one of these people, accountability doesn't really work. Like accountability kind of annoys me because that's not my tendency. That's not how I work. So this book I think is fascinating and it's a big, uh, really helpful resource when it comes to um, actually taking action on these different goals and creating this healthy lifestyle. And it really helps you work with yourself and work with your tendency. So those are the big ones that I recommend. Awesome, thank you. Um, and Catherine, do you have anything uh, you'd like to add? Yeah, I'll, I'd love to add a couple books um, to that. So I would recommend Andrea's book, Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis. It's awesome. Um, it has lots of exercises in there. And, you know, I think it's just a wonderful book. Um, and just the title alone, I think, tells you live your life, not your diagnosis. It's just a great message. 
and another one, how to make disease disappear. I talked about that earlier with Dr. Chatterjee, and he talks about all the pillars of health and just small changes that you can make for each pillar to um, improve your quality of life. And Sleep Smarter is another one by Sean Stevenson. He's the favorite uh, health podcast I listen to, the Model Health Show. And then this one is kind of um, about mindset. So this book is called Expectation Hangover, and it's written by Christine Hassler. And, you know, we all you have expectations of how we think, think things are going to be or should be, and then they don't happen that way. And so we feel really yucky and down about that. And it's kind of just processing that and going through that, getting rid of that expectation hangover. And there's a lot of emotional release work in that book um, that I think would be really beneficial. Thank you. I think those are some really great suggestions. Touching on a point about unhealthy habits, Catherine, I know you talked a little bit about diet and exercise and that How kind of thing. How easy it is <laughs> to get into unhealthy habits. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, uh, we did get a question about how you recognize unhealthy habits in your life and and just how can you how can you make concrete decisions to change these unhealthy habits well i think i mean some are going to be kind of obvious like smoking and dipping um you know eating tons of sweets but i think you know it's just stopping and kind of looking at you know, let me look at these different pillars of health. You know, am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting good quality restorative sleep? Am I, um, you know, what does my food intake look like? You know, am I getting some movement in every day? Um, you know, I think kind of down, down in our gut, I would say, you know, trust your gut. Your gut's telling you this is not a healthy habit then I'm sure it's right. It's probably not. Um, but yeah, just trusting your gut and, um, you know, and what that is. And, you know, you can always reach out to other people, you know, for support and, you know, things that maybe they're doing and just be patient with yourself and just know that changes take time and but all we can do is change ourselves. Um, and just don't give up on yourself um, or others, you know, as far as changes go and just continue to try to be the best example you can. But again, I just think if you just kind of know in your gut, but just educating yourself with like good information, like from the TMA and um, some of these resources that Andrea and I suggested, I think you can get some good information, you know, on healthy versus unhealthy. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Andrea, do you, do you have anything to add and, and maybe um, any ways to recognize habits that, um, you know, like relationships that are maybe toxic or mm. um, things that I guess you, you might not immediately recognize as unhealthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think the point Catherine made is, is spot on. It's you've got to trust your gut. And a lot of times we know, we know what we're doing. We know things that are unhealthy and you can, you can know because you have that tinge of like, uh, you know, it doesn't feel awesome when you're doing it. Like if say you drink like three diet sodas a day or something, you know when you're drinking that diet soda, 
it's not awesome. It's whether or not you want to make it a priority to stop, right? And being in like toxic relationships, that's that's a big, you know, I'm glad you asked that. That's a really good question because it's also a matter of trusting your gut. Because a lot of times, sometimes we have these gut reactions. Our body tells us, our brain tells us, right? We see things. It's just that we choose to ignore it. We don't want to make that a priority. We don't want to cut off that friendship. Like with me, with my best friend, that was really hard. I mean, I didn't cut that friendship off, but you know, it's not. <laughs> Maybe I'll like like something on Facebook that she did now. It's not the same, right? And you have to make that tough decision and um, understand. I always like to say like, okay, where do I want to be? Like, what's my, what's my ultimate goal? Ultimate goal is I want, I want a healthy life. I want to feel my best. I want to be my best. I want my health to be as the best it can be. And is this person contributing to that? Or is this person taking away? Is this person adding love to my life? Is this person adding drama and stress to my life? And you can ask that. It can be your, you know, your partner, all the way down to like your hairdresser. <laughs> I think I think you should look at all the relationships in your life and really know, is this adding value or is this taking away from what I ultimately want? And then it's just a matter of, are you going to act on that? Because that's the hard part. Um, because a lot of times we have a lot of things that are invested, a lot of time and emotions invested with this, with somebody. And so it's a question of, are you going to listen to that gut feeling and follow through? That's a, that, those are some really good points. Um, and I think that's something that we can, can all kind of apply to our lives, mm. uh, regardless of, you know, yeah. of where we're at. So we have one more question. Um, it's about life, setting life goals. And um, obviously with, with any of these rare uh, diagnoses, a lot of times they're, you know, life changing and, and goals that you've had in the past might no longer be uh, possible. So um, do you have any tips on kind of uh, reevaluating your life goals in light of a diagnosis and, and really accepting that? Andrea? Yeah, I think um, I honestly, I mean, I, I'm going to say for most people who are diagnosed their goals in life before their diagnosis are very different than their goals in life after their diagnosis. <laughs> um, it has kind of a way to make you really realize um, what's important. And a lot of times what's important is our health, right? So there's definitely that. But at the same time, I would argue that goals are always changing. They're always different. Like, um, like Catherine touched on, and I think it's really important, like as far as diet, right? You've got to eat what's right for you. I don't, I also don't believe that one diet is right for everybody. Your body is changing. And so your goals to, for eating a healthy diet are going to change as well because different things aren't going to work. Like, um, you know, broccoli might not work for you anymore. Onions might not be healthy anymore, right? It, it, it's, our life is constantly evolving. A diagnosis makes us kind of jump a little bit, I think, in the evolution um, when it comes to focusing in on us and, and creating goals focused on us and our health. But I think, you know, lifelong goals have to be flexible. They've got to be malleable. You've got to be able to stay creative, 
and problem solve and you might be set for 10 years on um, on one type of exercise and maybe your goal is a marathon and that's fantastic but then you might you know after that you might realize like wow I need to slow down um, I need to you know maybe running isn't good for you anymore and you want to start swimming right so I think the biggest thing with life goals is to stay flexible have kind of your overarching theme have that umbrella goal of just to be as healthy as possible but know that things are going to change things that work for a little bit aren't going to work anymore or things that didn't used to work are all of a sudden going to work and that's why it's so important to have this mindset um, that drives you towards these healthy goals because when you have that more positive mindset your brain opens up to all of these other things like you have access to creativity and problem solving um, and all of these things that help you stay flexible with those lifelong goals. Thank you. I think those are some really good points. And I, I agree that flexibility is a great way to, you know, maintain positivity and, and mm -hmm. just adapt to new situations. And Catherine, do you have anything to add or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, sometimes it's an op opportunity too to, you know, maybe change a job, like maybe you're in a job you hate. And um, so like, I think about my husband, he has an autoimmune disorder and he used to be in corporate America traveling all over the place. And he finally, this was before I met him, but he finally decided he had to put his health first and that that was more important. Just kind of like what Andrea was saying, you know, that health has to come first and he changed his job. You know, it wasn't making near the amount of money he was, but he's so much happier. He works outside a lot, you know, all his, you know, blood pressure and cholesterol, all that has gotten so much better. And, um, you know, I think it's just an opportunity to change, you know, maybe those goals. And um, but I just encourage people, don't be hard on yourself. You know, be sweet to yourself and that you don't have to be perfect, you know, to feel good. Um, but again, yeah, just kind of reevaluating what is important. And for him, it was, you know, being with his kids and, you know, being healthy. I think those are really good points. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, so we're almost at the end of our time. I wanted to thank both of you for uh, taking your time to speak with us and to share your viewpoints. I think we learned a lot of really great uh, strategies for uh, keeping a positive mindset and, and recognizing unhealthy habits and changing them into healthy habits. Um, was there any last-minute things you wanted to cover before we we say goodbye, Andrea or Catherine? I, I mean, I guess the parting thing I would I would leave people with is it, we all have a mindset, right? Whether you're aware of it or not, we all have things that we're choosing to believe about the circumstances in our life. And the question is, what is it that you're choosing to believe? And do you feel good? with that choice? Do you feel good with that belief? It's easy to think that we, um, you know, we just, we don't really have a mindset or, you know, that's like Catherine said, stay in that negative mindset. That's super easy. It's easy to believe that things like a diagnosis will dictate what your mindset is. And none of that, that's, that's, that's not true. Your diagnosis doesn't automatically give you a mindset. Your mindset is what you're choosing to believe. You have a choice, you have a belief right now. What is it, is that working for you? And what do you want to believe? 
that's going to help you um, move forward with a healthier lifestyle? Or do you love what you're believing right now? And is it something that you want to, to consciously keep thinking instead of letting it go unconscious and kind of going on autopilot? Great. Thank you so much. I think that's a really good, uh, a really good point. So we're at we're at the end of our time. As a reminder, this podcast was recorded and will be made available on the TMA website. Uh, thank you both for joining us and have a good rest of your day. Thank, thank you, you so much. much.